actually a, a wonderful little um, introduction, truly, to what we're going to be going over. We can I, you can take one and pass it around if you guys want one. Um, really, to what Cal was saying and everything we were just talking about. Um, well, the other thing that's amazing, just with everything that's happening there, is Moses is on a mountain that's uh, covered in flames and fire uh, with uh, absolute, what should bring a, a fear of God's people. Um, and even recognizing that Aaron really ended up succumbing to the fear of man and he forfeited the fear of God. Um, he gave in to the fear of man. He didn't, he didn't um, put God in that reverent place as he ought to be. And so, um, a, a, a wonderful example of uh, really what happens when we neglect the fear of the Lord. Because uh, that is at the heart of those people. Um, despite God continually displaying his power and, and his deliverance, his salvation, their reliance upon him, they refused to fear him. Um, as he is the holy God. So uh, with, with that, so that obviously uh, we'll be going through the fear of the Lord. Uh, and Pastor Chris, we talked about this a while back and just uh, doing Sunday school. And, and he mentioned maybe doing some, uh, some wisdom literature or something like that. And just worked out really well because uh, for my own, just kind of my own personal life, I would say the fear of the Lord has been, um, I don't know how long I've been thinking about it. Um, it's just been heavy on me for uh, several months, um, just kind of mulling it over. Um, and uh, part of that was I, got, I read uh, The Great Gain of Godliness by Thomas Watson, um, which was a really good book. Um, and the first part of that book is really just about uh, fear of reverence of, of God. Um, and what that looks like in our lives is kind of what he draws out from that book. Um, and so... Um, with that, we're going to be Proverbs 1-7 is going to be our launching verse um, for this. But before that, I'm also just going to pray as before we really get into the lesson. Um, Lord, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for this time you've set aside for us, Lord, according to your great providence. And God, I pray now that your word would be heard among your people. And God, that within each one of our hearts, our fear would grow of you. Uh, Lord, a, a fear that changes us, that, that, uh, that, that just stirs us up, Lord, towards a obedience and a love and an affection and a commitment and a desire to glorify your name above all other names. Um, Lord, we pray uh, this in your name, according to your glory and your purpose, Lord, your will. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 1-7. I trust a very familiar verse for most of us. But it is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so as we consider this, big picture, we're not, we're, so many ways we can go with this, <laughs> right? The fear of the Lord. It's a very, uh, I don't know how many series we could do this uh, on. It would take many. Um, but so my, my hope today is really for us to understand the fear of the Lord biblically. To look at what the fear of the Lord is as it's revealed through the Word. And I think this is actually what Proverbs directs us to. Because the preceding 
verses, one through six, leading to seven, really what do they do is they direct us to God's word, to seek wisdom. Uh, it's really a, those first seven verses of Proverbs are really a prologue to the book of Proverbs. And so what they do is they, they, they point us to looking to the word of God, because ultimately one of the questions would be, well, is how does our fear grow? Well, we can't just sit here and muster it up and, and think, I must fear the Lord, I must fear the Lord, you know, whatever we can come up with. It, grow, it grows through the word of God. This is how God has chosen to reveal his knowledge, his wisdom to us, is through his word. And this is, uh, so, so, and what we see is uh, really this, these first uh, seven verses pointing to this, and then really seven, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Uh, uh, of knowledge, excuse me. So this is really the, the, I would say, the foundation to everything that happens in Proverbs from following. And the fear of the Lord is a constant theme throughout Proverbs as well. Uh, it comes up repeatedly. And, and even through Scripture, I don't know how accurate this number is. I did a quick search. Fear is mentioned 365-ish times in the Bible. Now, certainly that's not always, there's different fears, and that's what we're going to talk about is, well, what, what is this fear speaking of? Um, but, but fear is a, is a major theme in Scripture, and that's really what I want to point us to today. And then in that, understanding this fear in our lives as we really walk in this world. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into the fear of man and what that looks like and all those things. There's just simply not enough time for that today. Um, so we're really just going to be looking at uh, multiple examples and, and scripture references, and that's what that handout is for, um, and we'll see how many we get to. But again, this is really at the heart of understanding our knowledge and our wisdom that is found. And, and the thing is with Proverbs is many people can read Proverbs and, and actually interpret it more of a book of morality, right? Uh, uh, it's a, certainly a book of principles, proverbial sayings, wisdom literature, things that are to help us in our lives. And so again, well, why is the fear of the Lord the foundation? Because if we separate the fear of the Lord being that foundation of knowledge, we truly are left with a life of morality, right? Our motive is, is purely moral motive. Our, mor our, our, our motive is not in fear and reverence of God. And that is really at the heart of all religion. I, I forget who said it, uh, but it, 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 it's the soul, of, um, the soul of the fear of God is at the heart of all religion, right? The fear, or the fear of the Lord is, is the heart or the soul of, of all true religion, right? So of all practice. And so this is what drives us. Um, and I would also say, um, you know, as we think about this, I think the fear of the Lord is really one of those things that's not mentioned a lot today. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say in this church, but uh, big picture wise, if we look at, you know, the uh, churches across probably particularly the United States, but I'm certain all over the place, anything that would include health, wealth, prosperity, false gospel, things like that, you know, the fear of the Lord is, is really not mentioned much. Um, and it's almost like, I, I would say, oftentimes taken in this negative sense of, well, what, no, no, you know, uh, people approach God so casually in, in so much of their lives um, and that 
I think, bleeds through the church. There's many examples of this. I mean, this is the, you know, well, why do they have, again, I'm not bashing musical instruments and these types of things, but what is the appeal of so much of that? It's, it's for man. It's to bring people in and, and so that they feel comfortable. And they, 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 they have this experience that they walk away with feeling better about themselves uh, because of whatever it is they experienced. And this is even hints to the preaching, not hints, actually what drives a lot of the tickling of the ears of, of again, I use the term preachers, but um, certainly we all struggle in various ways, but people that are, are opening the Word of God, they use it in a way to really just kind of build people up to make them feel better about themselves. It completely neglects the fear of God, the reverent worship that we have. And I would say as a church, I think one of the best compliments, for lack of a better term we could have, is people would come to this church and they would say, that is a church that fears God. That is a church that holds God in a high reverence and revere and awesomeness. It's obvious that they love him and that he is indeed their God. And that is what drives this fear. So, kind of a longer introduction, but in all of that, again, it is, it, it, this is what drives, I think, the sincere heart for worship. So what is the fear of the Lord? And, and first, and I don't think that Proverbs is speaking to this specifically, but there is this negative sense of fear. And I say negative not in like it's necessarily a bad thing, but we would probably consider it more of like a negative response to fearing the Lord. And this would be like a trembling that really results in terror or dread of justice, of God's wrath that's going to be served because you recognize that you are unholy and unrighteous and God is holy, holy, holy and righteous. And so you recognize that you cannot stand before him in his presence and live. Right? So this is that, that fear that would cause a, 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 like more of a dread and a terror to recognize your condition before this God. And this is the fear that I think is really easy for people to associate with the Old Testament and disassociate from the New Testament, although I know that amongst this group we all know uh, God does not change. It rem- he remains the same. But this is, I think, in large part why a lot of people want to uh, unhitch the Old and the New Testament because it seems so harsh in the Old Testament. But again, we know the truth of who God is, but we see this in, you know, incidents like the flood, right? Obviously, as God's wrath is poured out on a people who are, who are not fearing him, they're doing what they want, they're living how they, well, they want to live, that is an absolute judgment that fell upon the earth. And so that alone, we think about that, that should rise in people that this understanding, like, boy, we should fear this God because he's going to have justice. And if I'm like everybody else that succumbed in that flood and that drowned, that's what I deserve, right? And so, uh, and we see this also, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, a people living in sexual immorality, right? Uh, Not a flood, but fire that falls from heaven and consumes them um, in, in, in fire, burning people. Uh, and we see this, I would say, even throughout the history of like Israel is, as well, what does God consist, constantly do is, is he delivers his people through war, through, through death. Uh, he gives them strength to advance their nation as God's nation. But we see this judgment continually coming out so that the nation should fear Israel because God is 
their God. Why would we want to go to battle with that nation? Because their God is a vengeful God and he's fighting for his people and he's going to deliver them over and over and over again. So there should be a fear of all those nations around in seeing this. And again, multiple examples, I think, throughout Scripture that would lead to this. And so when is the first time that we really read of the fear of the Lord? It's actually pretty early, as we would imagine. Again, as uh, Pastor Chris and I have been, it seemed like, talking intermittently about the book of Genesis and how amazing it is. Um, but really, we see it right away, right? In Genesis 2, 17, we know that as before the fall that Adam and Eve were created and there's a tree of knowledge and good and evil and you shall not eat of it for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and I'm not going to go a lot into this but it's interesting to think when we think about the fear of the Lord there should have been a fear of God even in Adam and Eve prior to the fall right because here it is here is the the if you eat of this, you shall die. That should work in them, this understanding to fear God and trust him as word and know who he is, that if I do this, there are consequences and it is death. Okay? So that, that would be a fear that, that, that they should have had. And ultimately, Adam and Eve neglected that fear, as we know, in the fall. And they did not listen to God's word. And they decided to eat of the fruit so that death would come. But so then Genesis 3, what happens in 8, is after the fall, Adam, he says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And listen, verse 10, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So immediately we see after the fall, Adam is now fearful and I don't think any picture does justice as much as people want to try of, uh, to me I often interpret these pictures of Adam and Eve hiding themselves, they look innocent. I, again, I don't, we always have to be cautious about putting too much into the Word of God. But I would imagine that Adam was probably trembling in fear. He wasn't just covering himself thinking, oh no, God's going to be mad at me. I think he had a dread of fear as the Lord came because the presence of God was coming. Because he knew that he did not listen to the Word of God. He did not fear God as he ought to live. And he knew that death was coming. And so, again, I don't know for sure, <laughs> but I would imagine there was some level of fear that was, that was very high as the Lord is coming back to them. And so this is that, that fear, though, that really ultimately leads to, again, this dread, this terror, this fear because of the fall that we suffer from today. Um, and this is what, uh, you know, leads to sermons, and I just have a snippet of it, but sinners in the hand of an angry God. A sermon certainly that drives this fear that, that, that natural man, apart from being in Christ today or by faith, should have. And what we see are you're a fool if you do not have this fear. But he's speaking of those who are outside of Christ. He says, That world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone, is extended abroad under you. There is a dreadful pit 
of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth open and you have nothing to stand upon nor anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but the air. It is the, only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. And this, of course, is a sermon that stirred a lot of hearts. <laughs> and I would suggest if you haven't read it, read it. Uh, because it had actually, it's a very wonderful message that drives home this fear that I'm speaking of to open people's eyes to see where you stand if you are not in Christ. Um, God is a wrathful God, and rightfully so. And then I would also say, just even considering Revelation, which we've been uh, blessed to go through with Pastor Chris, you know, certainly the point, Jesus is victorious. Amen. Hallelujah. The flip side of that is if you are not with the victorious king, you are going to suffer because judgment is coming. So Revelation, again, does a twofold thing. It reveals to us that, that Jesus is indeed victorious. And it reveals to those who are not on the side of the king that judgment and hell is promised and sure. It's coming. And so this is what Revelation helps uh, us to understand of this fear. Because he's going to judge with righteous judgment. And we hear the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterward have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn uh, to whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This again is that dreadful terror fear. And of course, who is he speaking of? Himself. Right? He's telling them, you ought to fear me. Don't fear these people around you. Don't fear death. That is nothing. Fear me because I have the power to cast you into hell for eternity. Strong words from a loving, gentle, gracious Savior. But they are his words. And so, uh, and this all leads to, I think, a, a really a good summary statement of, of man's depravity that we see in Scripture. Romans 2, 5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. And of course, where is that? That is as, as there's this long list of depravity of sin that people are living in. They're not realizing that they are rejecting God's kindness that is meant to lead them to repentance. And in return, there is this wrath of God that's being stored up behind a dam for now, essentially for lack of a better term, that's going to be poured out on all who do not believe. A very strong warning for those who are not in Christ. And this again, this is, you know, the, the society at the time and uh, this Romans, you know, one through the middle of three comes up often today. God's wrath of abandonment as people are left to their own ways to do as the, they want to do, a life pleasing to themselves, uh, really just dancing around, pretending like God doesn't exist. Um, and they are fools. Um, and even Hebrews 10 Again, just a lot of, uh, hopefully a lot of scriptural, and this is the tip of the iceberg, 
you know, but 31 is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Proverbs, again, has this throughout. Um, Proverbs 128, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. So again, here's this warning. Again, going back to 7, this is, this is the foundation. What happens when you refuse to fear him? You're not guaranteed forever the opportunity to fear him. There's a time coming uh, when he will no longer listen. You will not find me. Uh, because ultimately they have hated knowledge. And they, they choose, again, important word, they choose not to fear the Lord. Uh, Revelation 14, 9, And another angel and a third follow him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in the image and receives the mark on his forehead and his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured with full, uh, in full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb, capital L. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. You can't read through the Bible and miss this fear that man should have of the holy, holy, holy God. I mean, Isaiah himself, right? A prophet, a man that we would say seemed to have clean lips. What does he do in the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ as he confesses, I am a man of unclean lips? He says, well, woe is me first, <laughs> right? And he falls in the presence and says, I'm an, amongst a people of unclean lips. And so only a fool hears these words and refuses to fear God. Only a fool. Because fools despise wisdom and instruction. They refuse, they choose not to fear God. If you do not fear God, again, you are a fool. Biblical language. There are two types of people. There are those who fear God and there are fools. That's it. And so... With this, too, seeing more how foolish these people are, I'm going to go back to Romans 1. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, because I'm clearly not going to get as far as I wanted to get. 18 through 30, 23, we know that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. What happens to these people um, is, uh, though they know God's decree, and those who practice such things deserve to die, and they not only do them, but give approval to them, it goes on again, this long list of depravity. 318, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the fool. That is the fool. The wrath of God's revealed. We know this in creation. There actually is no atheist. They do not exist. Everybody knows that there is a creator. And they hide from him. They are ignorant to him. And they have no fear of him. And that's a summary, again, 318, of everything that is listed in this depravity of those, those people. They have no fear of God. So then, to those who belong to God, well, do we still fear him, right? To be him, and, and certainly we know the answer is yes. Although, of course, everything that I just mentioned in that previous fear, 
uh, I wouldn't say that it is gone because I think that that fear actually for us, it reminds us of how holy and righteous God is. It is in his word. We embrace it in, in, in the full counsel of God. But we know that that wrath and that condemnation is no longer on us. But what should that do to us? Is I, well, I think clearly one of the first things that should do to us is that should compel us to be evangelists. Right? That should certainly compel, that should work in our hearts to understand this wrath of God that is currently falling on those whom many of us love, family members, friends, people we work with, whoever it is, even strangers. It should compel us to warn people of the wrath that is to come. And so we don't completely neglect it. And it actually, I think it also works in us uh, the, the, a more uh, a biblical fear of, of our relation to being in Christ of awe and reverence, right? Of remembering of, of who God is and the power that he has and the fact that justice will come someday. He's not sweeping things under the rug. It's going to come. Well, he's, he's guaranteed it, that his justice will reign and, and the new heavens, the new earth, and all of those promises. So we don't completely neglect it. But we, we certainly walk primarily in a different fear. Um, and this is what we see in Scripture. And, you know, uh, for the sake of time again, I think, I'll be brief on this, but we, we think of Job. Um, he's a man who, what does it say about him? He's blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. And this is the other thing that we see in Proverbs. Well, what does the fear of the Lord do? It actually turns us away from evil. It's what God uses in us so that we, we don't, uh, we, we, we should more often, I mean, truly, if we live in, in a, a, a full reverence and fear of God, we would not sin if we could keep that constant, the, to have God uh, of uh, the fear of God so present upon us. But obviously, we all fail in fearing, fearing God as we ought to in various ways. But it, it directs us away from sin, and this is who Job is. Um, but, and, and Abraham, another good example as he goes to sacrifice his son, right? Well, what happens? He's stopped by the angel. And what does he say to him? He says, he stops him and he says, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you fear me. So what does that say about Abraham? This, this fear of God that drove him to the point that he was willing to trust God in what God said to do to the point of sacrificing, killing his, his only son, right? The, 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 through the promised seed, Lord, I trust you. I will do as you've told me to do. And the recognition, the mark that's put on him is a fear of God. And think of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. This is another good example of a man who lived just in this fear as she is relentlessly trying to persuade him to commit the act of just sexual immorality. And what does he say over and over and over as she's, she's trying to persuade him to this act of sin? He says, how could I sin against God? That's his response. He's not worried about Potiphar. He's not worried about what's going to happen from the worldly consequences. That shows to us that he walked in a fear of God first and foremost. That's, that, that's a mark of this life. And, and this is as we should respond. That's what turned him away from sin was a fear of God because I cannot do this to my God. And so this is all 
as, as we consider this, this is us who are, are in Christ today. We still have this fear. Um, and, and we know because of the truth that we are no longer in the condemning fear because of verses you know, like Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And Romans 8 goes on to, to end with just incredible um, scripture of telling us how nothing, we're, we're just caught up in the love of God and, and nothing could possibly separate us from that. Not even ourselves in that way, <laughs> right? Nothing. And, but, but, but in this, in this love, this is all what I think helps form us to understand what a fear of God looks like in our lives. Um, 1 John 4.18 there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Right? So that, that again, that removes this idea of punishment. But then what does that do for us in, in, in Christ as well, knowing, well, the Father certainly disciplines those that he loves, right? So there should still be a fear. I mean, does anybody want to walk into the Lord's discipline in this sense? I can tell you personally, I mean, it's, it, it always is for our good. It's always for our benefit. It's always, I mean, the, the Lord is so good to us in this way. But oftentimes it really hurts. It's not the easiest thing to always walk through. And yet the Lord is faithful. And, and in that, and in a way, it reflects, you know, even understanding like our, our earthly parents and fathers and discipline and the things that should happen from our parents. You don't look forward to it, but there's, there should be a fear and, and, this, and, and this appreciation for what we have in that. Um, and so, and from the Old Testament too, what we see, again, I know we know that we don't separate the two, but Jeremiah 32, 40 says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. This is the promise that we have today. He puts the fear of himself in us. Why? Again, so that we don't turn away from him. We have to see this connection of, 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 of having a high fear of God and the importance of that so that we do not sin. It's what helps to turn us away from a life of sin because of a fear of God. And so in all of this, what it is, you know, here's a definition I think that might help as I've said a lot. Jerry Bridges, he says, the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. And I think that's a pretty good definition and understanding that. And this is the fear that we should have today walking in Christ. And we consider this fear as, as it stirs in us, it, it really works in us, really the, the, the majesty of his glory as we consider all of the attributes of God. And I would say for me personally, one of the best studies I ever went through was the attributes of God. It was tremendous how much that actually helped me in understanding who God is. Because again, going to scripture, going to the Proverbs, well, what does it tell us? Well, we go to the word of God to learn about God, and that's what's going to raise our fear and so the attributes of God are extremely important for us to, to comprehend to the, the greatest ability that, we, that, that the Spirit will grant us. Because as we understand who He is more and more and more, our fear will naturally rise more and more and more. A divine fear that's really a gift for us to have. 
as we consider who God is. Um, and I think another example of this fear, Revelation 1.17, John, right, when, when I saw him, what does he do? He says, I fell at his feet as though dead. John wasn't worried necessarily about the, the, a, a death and a judgment to come. It just was this reverential fear that just threw him to the feet, to the, to the feet of Christ, right? And understanding and seeing Jesus and, and, and uh, sitting on the throne as he is, right? And, and the, the, the risen state, ascended state of who Christ is. And so this really is that glorious truth that we have. And again, I don't have time to go into it, but I would strongly think, why, you know, in our glorified bodies, for eternity in heaven, the fear of God will still exist, but it will be a perfect, pure, right fear of Him. Uh, as we just consider again and, and, and live in the glory of God. Um, you know, in closing, there's, said I, there's a lot I'm not going to get into. I would say the last thing that I would encourage us to consider really in walking in this fear and considering what it is, is, you know, well, what is Proverbs pointing us to? Ultimately, it's pointing us to Christ, right? He is wisdom. He, he fulfills the book of Proverbs because he is the book of Proverbs in that way, right? And so it points us to Christ and understanding, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so then we, on, on this side of the ascension and this side of understanding fear, I still, I would say, one of the, the biggest things we can look to, the biggest events that we look to is no further than the cross to understand the fear of God. Because there, when we look to the cross, we see the, the perfect life of Christ, everything that he did, his act of obedience, a life of righteousness, fulfilling the law, walking perfectly accordingly to the law, and then offering himself freely, going to the cross as a sacrifice, right, as, as the the substitutionary atonement, the propitiation of our sins, the wrath satisfaction from God. So we see the love of God, we see the wrath of God, we see the grace of God. You see so many of the attributes of God on the cross that I, we cannot look at it and then walk away from it unaffected, thinking that, that, that the fear of God is irrelevant in our lives because... We, it's impossible. You can't see that on the cross and not have that change and, and give us, again, this reverence. This, and, I, and I think this worship is a good word for this fear. It's what works in us, this life, so that we hear the words of Jesus later where he will tell us to bear our cross, right? Follow him. Amen. Hallelujah. Because I have a fear and a reverence and an awe for you. I'd have it no other way because what you've done for me on the cross. Right? So I think that really is the, the, the epicenter, the center for us to really always fall back on. When we, when we want to grow in the fear of the Lord, look to Christ, look to the cross, and look at the impact that that's had for us um, because we have escaped We've been freed from, not having escaped, we've been freed from by the grace of God, the judgment and wrath on God. And instead, we've been brought into his family to live, adopted into his family, uh, all because of the good grace and kindness of God. Uh, but again, the cross clearly shows us every sin will be punished.
every sin. It's either punished on the cross or it's, it's going to be punished in hell. That's it. Those are the only two options we have. Um, so with that, we are out of time, though. <laughs> I'll, cl- I'll pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for this time, Lord. And just again, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would all grow in a fear of you. Lord, just a reverence, a worship, a, an appreciation, Lord, a, a desire, a commitment, God, um, that is noticeable so that each person here would be known by a fear of you. They would say, man, that is a, that is a man or that is a woman that clearly fears the Lord. Amen.